The Anfield Wrap, brought to you by High Street Solicitors, a one-stop shop for all your legal needs. Call us now on 203 1268. It's the Anfield Wrap, top of the tower. You know all that traffic that was getting talked about a minute ago, all that traffic, top of the news traffic, that traffic, that super traffic, that traffic that transcends the traffic bulletin and instead becomes the news traffic. Well, that traffic is the traffic that sadly Tony Barris is stuck in. He is getting here as quickly as he can to join Carl Karpak and Rob Gutman to discuss Liverpool versus Sunderland. Uh, in part two, we've got uh, Steve Kelly on We Never Walked Alone, this forthcoming walk from uh, Hillsborough Memorial right the way through to the memorial at Anfield that's being done. And then in part three we're going to have a look ahead to Spurs this is a packed show the opening question comes from at Vinnie Cal it is this current Premier League striker who'd make the best defender and current Premier League defender who'd make the best striker um, I'll have your strikers who'd be defenders first and foremost uh, Rob Gutman um, I'm Neil I'm Atkinson go- by the way I don't think I did that bit go on you are you very much so um, <laughs> emphatically so well this this uh, this, uh, this probably sound like a lazy choice, but I wanted this to happen when he was at Liverpool. And I've just written it down. Yeah, go on, what it, have I just it, like in countdown. What have I just written down? Go and say it. Big Kaz. I can't just ju- that. as Emil before him, Andy the Carol Carolster. W- he would make a magnificent slow centre half, but he would win everything in the air. And you know what? From a set piece, he's got a range of finishes on him uh, that make Martin Skirtle look. Um, like a not very good finish, which he is. And that brings me... Are we going to the second choice or are we going straight to Carl on the other one? Uh, we'll go straight to Carl on the other one. Carl, who are you going for? I can't believe that Andy Carroll's gone. Like, three <laughs> of you can't believe that. Uh, for sheer comedy's sake, I'm going to go for Torres. Just cause I like it, that, it, it just It would be great just to watch him just walk up and down and just shrugging in a different part of the you know the park where he normally goes. So you'd, that, was, you, that would be great. You, you'd like to almost see, see that sort of thing get shaken up. Absolutely. And see him get thrown back there. Absolutely. And told yeah. just to make the best of it. I actually think that's inspired that. That's, he's more of a Tongan than the Tongan could yeah, ever dream yeah. of being. <laughs> he's very good in the air. Well, Torres, I was going to go for which Berbatov is always... for the same reason. Because Berbatov in the back four means you've got to play a back three no matter what happens. That's just yeah, he's, that, he's got he the bear written all over him. That well, that's actually, that, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm but daunted. But Torres just for mostly sadistic reasons, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I, I like the sadistic reasons, yeah. though. Um, I, the player I sort of thought of as my second choice, and it was it was a bit of a left field one because he's not a big lad, and I think your instinct is to go for big lads. So after I thought of big Kaz, I thought, well, who would you go for? Who's not a big lad? Who you think? Could do a lot of what you now have to do in this league well, and because he's counterintuitively very good at it at the other end, Shane Long. Shane yeah. Long chasing balls the other way into channels because that's all Shane Long yeah, does. He, he, he hairs does, after yeah. things into channels, covering across, seeing this danger coming. I thought about Shane Long; he'd be my second pick. Um, who'd be your defender? You can go first this time, Carl, and see if you can set Rob up. Phil Jones. I think that's just naughty. It is quite naughty. Do you think Phil Jones would be the best, the best one to get thrown up? I like confusion on football pitches, and that that speaks of a great confusion. Don't you think he, he could be mediocre in a wide range of positions? I don't think he could be. I think he'd be pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, up front. I think. I think the further he goes, but I'm, I'm trying to get. I, I want to find a Paul Warhurst figure here. I want <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I, was, I, I was looking for Chris Sutton. Yeah, I was, I was looking I, for exactly that same thing. Okay, well, I'm not a million miles away from your thought process, but I think he's nearer Paul Warhurst. Is um, that Shaw lad at Southampton? Oh, so you I, put the left back up there. Yeah, I know it's a bit north. I know you meant centre halves, but but he but he's a. I don't know. He's kind of got it all in a limited sort of way. He could be Alan Shearer. If I don't, who knows if he's got a finish on him, but he looks like he's a. He's he's a handy lad. I uh, I, I my, my instinct on this one was to go for uh, Basong. 
Mm. Uh, Bassong at Norwich. I okay. think he could, he could have goals in him. Uh, brilliantly, brilliantly, Tony Barrett has arrived. Excellent stuff, Tony. We're not going to make it to the opening question. Just get yourself sit, sat down and settled. Unless you've got a good answer for it, sure, shall um, He's arrived just in time to talk about Liverpool versus Sunderland after we've all rattled through our centre-halves and centre-forwards. Um, it was a game I felt, Rob, a game of three parts. It was Part one was breaking them down. Part two was what happened at 2-0, the complacency that went on around it. And then part three was Liverpool fighting hard at 2-1. Breaking them down first, I thought it showed the value of patience. Yeah, I'm still not clear about whether we did break them down or not because we broke them down with a set piece. Well, to be fair, the lad was brought down when he was through on goal. Well, they, they were broken there is, down. That's broken there, down. There is, there yeah. is, there is that. I, but it's grey because because it, I suppose it wasn't completed by, because of the foul. But but yeah, I'm suppose I'm comparing it to earlier in the season where we played teams like West Ham, uh, Norwich, and Cardiff at home, who were teams that parked the bus. And we definitively broke them down. We really, really, we, we missed three or four, well, created three or four chances before scoring from getting in behind through slick one-twos. It wasn't quite the same. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world. It wasn't quite the same against Hull and we still came out with a 2-0. I'm not sure we broke them down. Uh, Carl Karpak, do you think we broke them down? Yes, I think we did. It was a different type of game, this one, because the last few games, as, as, as we've all said, it's been, it's been comic most of the time. And this one seemed like a genuine, right, that there's a pattern in place. Sunderland have come to do this and they're not bad at it, despite where they are in the league. And I thought the way they set up three centre-backs, two defensive midfielders, I thought it was very interesting. Sort of, well, we know what you're going to do. And normally people go through you when you do that. And they thought, no, we're gonna, we, we know exactly where to hold and where to, where to push Coutinho. Um, so I think we did, finally did break them down. But I think it was mostly just sort of sheer exhaustion, really. I think we were quite lucky to get the breakthrough. I think that's another... If that's 20 minutes into the second half, it's a different game altogether. So it was a breakdown, really. Uh, Tony, I thought someone deserved, I thought, significant credit. They clearly come with a game plan. You know, Despite the fact they came with it, they were 2-0 down. But they came with it. It was very much they came to stop Liverpool and they had a clear way of thinking about what they were going to do. Yeah, they also came and did something different. Which, if you, th- if you think back to Arsenal at Anfield, yeah. Tottenham at White Hart Lane... Everton and Anfield, they all did things that played into Liverpool's hands. Sunderland came and posed a different question, which is the next day's Liverpool's development. Nearly teams are, n- are not going to keep making the same mistakes, although Tim Sherwood is obviously at Anfield on Sunday, so maybe he will. <laughs> but most teams will now look at what 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 will we have to do to make life difficult for Liverpool, and Sunderland did that. And that's why I thought it was imp- impressive that Liverpool came through it, mm. because Liverpool haven't had these kind of tests too often in the last few months, and they've they actually came through the test of nerve and the test of strategy, so it was impressive despite the nerves. It was interesting, you know, that, that that they were doing this thing where they clearly had a plan. We'll get to sixty, we'll get to sixty-five. They were even, I thought it was noticeable, you know, they were they were dwelling over goal kicks at two 0 down. You know, they very much had this theory of we're going to get to this point in the game and that we're going to as much as possible try to make it a twenty-five minute football match. Which is why Key and Adam Johnson held back and came on and made all the difference. But I, I, I looked at the game again yesterday. I watched it on a the full 90 minutes on television and I it was a different match watching it in the coming to your own living room it always is than it was at Anfield because at home you don't have the anxiety that was there at Anfield and it was I think it was the most anxious ground I felt people compared to Chelsea 2005 semi-final but I never got that sense of anxiety that night there was something different the other night there was an absolute fear and it was a fear that was evident in the players from where you go because if you look at the first 40 minutes before Gerard's free kick watch every time Liverpool try and play a final ball they were all overhitting it and it was incredible. Mm. That's just tension. Yeah. It's just tension. And it was the players. I thought rather than the supporters feeding onto the players, also the other way around. I thought the players started anxious and that then fed onto the supporters and that then became a problem. 
It might not have been a game for the Diamond, Carl. I mean, that's the other thing here. It felt like Liverpool at times, Tony mentions the final pass there, it almost felt like Liverpool had won too many balls to play a lot of the time, whereas the, yeah. what's, what's marked a lot of what they've done well this season, it's been pretty direct. Yeah, and uh, I think if you're going to play that with um, you know Coutinho at the tip of the apex, it's the, the problem with that is going to be if they're playing two defensive midfielders and three centre-backs coming on to you, then they're just going to choke the play for that final ball all the time. And I, I agree with Tony. I, I think we sort of we did panic a bit. And, uh, and as I said before, it, it was generally a case of um, you've been playing like this for weeks, just sheer cavalier football and it's been brilliant and everything. You've got to learn how to play it like this now. And I think um, it's, I think that's good for us. It, it's not, you said it's not as good for fans in any way, but uh, I think it's good that the team learned to do that again. It's like, it's like United, the United home game was a bit like that. Do you think it's good? Dig in. Well, do you think it's good? I was. I felt that card. I felt like something being got out the way and got through with three points. That they conceded three. Rob, do you think it's good that this, you know, this tense night game has been got out the way? They've, they've learned. You know, like they've learned from it now. They know how. They know what they can manage in this crucible, in this tension. They now know what that is. They're the other side of that now, and yeah. that's out the way. You know, is, is it a positive? They've done. They've got these things out the way with six points. Yeah, in a way, Fulham was uh, the away the away game version of that. Uh, it took that you know yeah. dramatic finish, but it, but we just done Arsenal. We were on the crest of a bit of a roll. Everything we'd done two weeks before, and Fulham was an away banker, and we we did huff and puff a bit through it, but we got through got through it in the end. And I think I think Sunderland it was similar, um, but we've had those moments. I think Hull on New Year's Day was a bit of one of those moments for slightly different reasons because we were on the back of two defeats then. Um, but we have we have done this throughout the season periodically. I do think. Tactically, the, and it was—it's a difficult one, and I think most supporters would have gone either way on it. So there's no blame to the manager attached with this, but I do think playing Allen and Henderson blunted us, um, and that's a wisdom of hindsight to a degree. I think I think if you'd had Sterling, Coutinho, and and left Henderson and Gerrard to consider the defensive issues, I think we would have been more penetrative. I think Sterling would have given us more options in wide positions. Obviously, he can come through the middle, and I think it would have dazzled and confused. Dazed and confused Sunderland's um, low block defence. Uh, Tony, I thought that you know the way, the way they were playing, they were playing there with the three that sometimes became you know they were shuffling along backwards and forwards. It might have been good to have the option of someone who can just essentially go and, for instance, give the scene at a problem for ten minutes, just stay goal side of them, just try and pin them back, not let them flit in and out of a three or four or five. I thought that you know Liverpool. One of the problems with the diamond shape a little bit, I think, Tony, it, it makes your decision for you when he goes the other way. If he picks if he picks any other variant, he can then drop into that but the diamonds once it once you send them out onto the pitch that 11 it's a difficult thing to change for five or ten minutes just to just oppose new threats which is why that i'm surprised that sterling hasn't started the last couple of games i know oh. coutinho i'm not saying coutinho's played badly because he's played pretty well i think he's played well as an individual more than anything i think he's been a little bit overindulgent at times and, and product, cardiff i've got to be honest he's he's created a couple of goals at cardiff so you, you, you can't crib his end product there i just think that in terms of intensity of play of pressing the way that Liverpool want to play when they come up against that kind of situation at home I think Raheem Sterling's crucial I, th- I think he gives you an outlet I think he gives you somebody who can run in behind the fullback. I think he gives you somebody who can run with the ball long distances and he's someone who can flip from he played centrally against Manchester United but he can easily if you start him the the pinnacle of the diamond, you can flip them out right wide, and that gives the option of becoming four three three, four four one one. There's every single op- tactical option that opens up to you then, and I think that kind of variety within a game, not just from, on a game today, game to game base, but within a game, is going to be increasingly crucial for Liverpool. Can I, can I ask you a question, Tony? Do you think there's to a degree Brendan's protecting him because he's 19? He's thinking. Not every game, surely. This is you'll we'll play. We've played him into form. Let's not play him out of form. Let's manage him. 
I'm not sure there could be an element of that. The he, Brendan would say no. If you asked him, he would say no himself. I'm sure mm. there is. If you look at Janazai at Manchester United, who's been running to the ground this season, has now been taken off the side. Brendan Rodgers managed Raheem Sterling a lot better than that. He, yeah. he has brought him in and taken him out. He's given him breathers when needs be. I just think at this stage of the season, Raheem Sterling may have to be running to the ground a little bit. He yeah. may have to accept yeah. it. We may have to accept that uh, at the start of next season. He may have a hangover from this season. Yeah. But Liverpool have got six, seven, eight, nine, ten games. I think in that run, get your strongest team out there. And for me at the moment, Raheem Sterling would be in ahead of Philip Coutinho because the flexibility gives Liverpool. I thought the change was interesting. I thought I thought uh, he'd, that Coutinho would go off and bring Sterling because that's what he normally does. I mean, that's obviously that's what he did at Southampton. But I just I thought. Um, for that reason, I thought there'd be lots of pace in front of their back four and in between their defensive midfielders. And uh, I was very surprised to see Sturridge go off. But I suppose for the first time in a while that uh, Coutinho really, really found form. Genuinely found form in this game. Well, and I, so you couldn't take him off, yeah. really. Well, I, I thought that was the interesting thing. I think, it, but, you know, it's good to what Tony says. I, th- I think he's a fascinating player, Coutinho, because I don't think that there's a lot of the conventional roles, the way people try to pigeonhole him. I actually don't think it works. You know, I don't think he's suited this idea that he's he's happy on the left and cutting in and looking to be creative. I don't think he's a number 10 because the goal record isn't there. Yeah. He's very much a midfielder who plays at the apex of some sort of midfield. The comparison I always make now is, is someone like Iniesta. But obviously not in Iniesta's class because yeah. there's no one else in the world who is yeah. in Iniesta's class. It's a good class. comparison though, stylistically. It, 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 because a lot of what he does involves slowing it down. But it is interesting, that you know what I mean, Rob, that as mm. Carl says there, when you'd have thought there was an opportunity to break on them late on, he made the decision to keep that player on unless... But I thought that was logical. i going to be honest with you. I, what I thought it was, what I thought he was going for 4-5-1. He was simply wanted to he, he wanted control of the ball again and two forwards is gives you less opportunity to control the ball unless you take that risk with your full back. So mm. we thought, I'll go for a more conventional shape and I won't compromise the fact that I'm uh, an attacking manager so I've, I've still got this you know this coterie of attacking players on the pitch and that's why I did it let's not forget with Coutinho we, uh, when we said he's not been the Coutinho that he has been although he's been a, a good Coutinho the, the breakthrough moment in the game is because of a fantastic ball from Coutinho. Now, it's a bit it's a bit messy in the way it breaks through for, for Suarez and he makes the most of it and the foul is drawn. But that is a ball threaded through the, the eye of a needle. It's not perfect, but it's impossible for it to be perfect because the centre-halves are about a yard apart when it's where it's played. It's an incredible ball, that. I think it's uh, the, the the next part of the game. Then, for you know, is, is there was I felt Carl an element of complacency at two 0 I thought that they were all, you know, there was there was selfishness not just from. I think it's easy to say Suarez, but it wasn't just Suarez. It you know, wasn't just Suarez at all. There, there was, I thought across the board there, and it's even dropping back into some of the midfielders, there was a lot of I'm going to have a go next yeah. uh, going on. 4-0, you know, you can, you, you, that's understandable and we probably all have a bit of a laugh with it, but I think it is It is frustrating to see that at the moment at 2-0. Sunderland weren't dead. No, no, they weren't at all and um, they weren't much going forward until they brought on the two, the, you know, the two substitutions, but it was just cocky, I thought. We got really, really cocky and as, as if it's sort of, when we go to 2-0, we go to 5-0 or we go to, well, we go to 6-3, ideally. Um, so I just thought, well, you haven't won this game yet. And um, Twitter was like that. Um, it, it was it's very sort of you know, we've done we've won nothing yet, and we're, we're playing like it's injury time and we're four up. And it was very it was again it, it's it's a different type of game though, and it, it, we were playing like it wasn't a different type of game. We thought we've done this now, we've done the hard work, and you're right, we were overpassing, we were underpatterned and making runs, which was stupid. 
It's uh, it's this it's it's interesting. This Carl uh, Tony that Carl used the word cocky. It's the difference between what the managers call football and arrogance, and just simply a cockiness. I thought, and I thought that they went, they just all found themselves too far of that line in a game that just wasn't done. Yes, yeah, the same spectrum, and, and for me, it was very similar to Liverpool against Swansea. You know, when Liverpool went two 0 up, yes, and ev- everyone in mm. the crowd that day sat back and waited for three, four, five, and when it didn't come, the panic set in, and, and the same thing was repeated. But I think it's there from the outset. If you, if you look back at the game, I think in the first fifteen minutes, Liverpool had five six shots from outside the box and the, the angles were getting increasingly ridiculous and, and there is that there is that feeling within the team that they can score at will and it happened to Cardiff they did score at will mm. and you don't want to knock that out to them I think that's the really intriguing it's, it's a really thing. hard line isn't it it's a really really difficult thing for the manager to do because you can't start telling them you're not as good as you think they are because part of the reason why they are where they are is because they think they're brilliant well what would you say to Luis Suarez after he scores the goals against Norwich please stop shooting from there the, you know you can go to the team that the amount of ridiculous goals mm. that Liverpool scored this season it's caused their sense of adventure caused their cockiness and so it, it, it's channeling that in the right way and I actually think there was a spell when Liverpool went 2-0 up and I know you call complacency, but some of the chances he created and some of the football yeah. that was played for five or ten minutes was as good as at any time before that. Exactly, and if one yeah. of those goes in, Liverpool do do that thing where they just run away with the game. So it's, it's a difficult one. It, it did feel like we were becoming the real Liverpool. It felt like, ah, oh, good, we're back. There was a few moments where Johnson, there was some interchanges on the right, which were good. But I think there's a crucial point here, which I've seen is an undercurrent of a problem all season. It's to do with substitutions. And funny enough, the last time I noticed it was during the midst of the 5-1 thrashing of Arsenal. We have a very, very weak bench relative not just to the two above us, but actually to all the teams around us. We're playing with a 1980s squad of 14, 13, 14 players. The best you mean bench, in an attacking sense, though? Because that bench there, it's got Sakho on, yeah, it's got Lucas on. It's got, oh, in a front six sense, your point is that it's Sterling and then it's... it's in a game-changing sense. In a game-changing yeah. sense. So what happened, even in the Arsenal game, and I know people wouldn't notice it and think it's just one of them, they brought on three subs on about 65. And actually had more of the ball than even they should have done given they were fighting to back, get back in the game and got their goal. I felt when Sunderland put those three subs on, I think if we had a squad of 18, 20 quality players the way Chelsea City do, we would have matched that. Like, that's the next phase for Brendan that he's going to have to judge and deal with. We're not. A, he does not trust his bench at all. He thinks, I would rather persevere with this quality of player I've got, barring one sub here or there, uh, than take the risk of putting three wholesale changes on for energy's sake. But to go, back to, the, to go back to the sub, though, Tony, you know, the, of storage, it's him all the time. The other side of this, though, as well, is I thought of all of them, he was the one who was doing the most sensible things. I thought he actually had quite a sensible game on the... You know, so I thought he played reasonably well. Is this a fit... Is he just trying to protect the fitness going forward because he asks him to do so much high-energy sprinting? I mean, it is noticeable. I think... I- I think it's just a case of you're not going to take Suarez off. I, yeah. I just think it does come down to I, I can't imagine the circumstances when you would actually take Luis Suarez off the football pitch because we know that he can. It doesn't matter what the game is, he can change it his way. I think the big difference for me is, and, and it's a plus in many ways, that Joe Allen's become a first team player over the last few weeks, but Liverpool have lost a game changing sub in that respect. Joe Allen was coming off the bench in games when Liverpool need to keep possession. And now he's yeah. he's already on the pitch. There's not that change. So Liverpool, it, it, that's diminished their options from the bench a little bit more. Lucas is now on the bench, but it, he was about protecting the ball. He's not about keeping possession, dominating possession, higher up the pitch. So it, that's changed in effect. So Liverpool's options aren't strong enough from the bench, and that does mean that Brendan Rodgers will. I, I think that this means that Daniel Sturridge is going to have to cope with being the change more often than not. 
Okay, then the next thing then, I don't like to talk about the referee. Uh, never like to talk about that sort of stuff. Uh, but I thought that the referee was very, very poor, poor indeed, Carl. It felt to me like he was trying to manage the game a little bit. Like he felt like, again, this idea that he feels as though he's here to present the game to us rather than just act as a neutral arbiter over a series of decisions. You know, it, yeah. it's it's increasingly obnoxious, this. I think it's something that impacts you more if you've got, obviously, more players who are really, really good on the ball. There's the Suarez element sort of dusted on top of that as well. Yeah. But... You know, it did seem like he was. He did everything he could to keep that lad on the pitch. It was ludicrous. Yeah, it, it was absolutely ridiculous. I think there was also an element of, I'm not going to be intimidated by the home fans, everyone. Yeah. There was, there was a little bit of that thrown in. Um, and therefore, you know, if, if it was 50-50, no, I'm not going to be swayed. I'll give it the other way. And and some of the decisions were, were just patently ridiculous. And it's. I think it's always a shame when you know, notice the referee. Mm. I think it's a really, really bad thing. Because um, I mean, it's easy to say, Tony, but it wasn't that sort of game either. I think you know, despite the fact that, that Sunderland were digging in, you know, there was there, there wasn't there wasn't a bad tackle in the game really. But the referee just seemed to he seemed to have something to prove somewhere. I'm I'm not sure. I'm always I'm reluctant to criticise referees. I, I do think that in the age of social media, we now get three day backlashes against referees, which I think is really uncomfortable and particularly unfair. But I do think there's there's a hierarchy decision that we've seen over the last week, which is I mean, you, you can you can hold the media responsible in many ways if you if you go back to the Arsenal sending off situation that didn't alter the game in any way shape or form Chelsea were going to smash Arsenal that day though that yeah. was apparent from yeah. the moment the handball but that became the biggest referee in conservation that we've had for some time it didn't change the game no. now I would argue that Wayne, Rooney, Wayne Rooney's foul uh, that led up to his stunning goal from the halfway line had much more of an impact on the game because it wasn't given United scored a goal United go on and win 2-0. Equally at Liverpool, the, the foul on Luis Suarez has a major impact on the game because Sunderland don't go down to 10 men. Their shape doesn't change. Their personnel isn't disrupted. Liverpool don't have that extra advantage. And it's, it's that kind of hierarchy of outrage that's, that's, that worries me more than the referee's decision. It was a bad decision. And even worse was the fact that the same player then made another foul, which was clearly yellow card. And it's that reluctance. And we've seen it with Liverpool players as well, so we shouldn't get away from that. No. The, the Liverpool players over the last couple of weeks who've made second yellow card challenges. Gerard at Arsenal. Gerard But referees are, are making that decision. Now, we're we really reluctant. And Liverpool have benefited and they've also yeah, suffered from true. it. And so I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the referee thing, but I'm, I'm more curious well, as to the, what makes one worse than another. Well, this is this, this is what grabs me, Rob, and I think that that's right. I don't think we want to necessarily point as though we're, we're consistently wronged in this discussion. I'd rather say this is what what annoys me about the referee is in general it is this idea that they're there to sort of to sheep to almost be the shepherd towards this football match that goes right the way through and, and see yeah. see it to a decent conclusion with 11 on either side on the pitch well if the yellow card tackles the yellow card tackles yeah. if the red card tackles the red card tackles if they happen in the first minute using the example of Eto'o on Henderson going way back at Chelsea then they happen in the first minute if the if you know if you've just not given a penalty to Liverpool as per at uh, Arsenal and then the captain goes and throws a second yellow card tackle in well it still is I mean this is this is got this is it this yeah it's contextual refereeing Tony's right. There are two different different things here. There is the media focus on a refereeing decisions defining a football weekend, and that nonsense at Arsenal is a case in point. But there is an, there is another subtext here. Without getting into uh, rival fan conspiracy theories, Graham Pohl alluded to it in his piece. I think it was in the Mail beginning of the week. We talked about. I know it's been done before, but the pressure Alex Ferguson put on referees. Now, obviously, this is music to the ears of Liverpool fans who've believed this for years. And what, where the balance of truth lies, we don't know. But it's plausible. It's plausible. And we saw in that referee the other, uh, the other night 
let's put it the Suarez meme that we're seeing or what we've seen all season. There are some refs who go, I respect Suarez. He's a reborn Suarez. I'm not afraid to give Suarez a decision. I may not, but I may. And the, 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 those guys seem to have that context. Then there are guys like Mr. Friend the other night who seem to have a thing in his head was, I'm not going to be one of those refs mugged by Suarez like I've seen on telly and Sky point out all the time. I'm one of those guys. I'm going to stand up to. And it's always this contextual stuff. As you say, just call it as you see it. It's not complicated. Sky points out all the time. That's the interesting thing there, Tony. You know, have you almost got referees and go back to the even the Arsenal game, the Howard Webb second penalty that he doesn't give because... If he gives two penalties and it transpires, he's got one of them wrong. You know, he's get he's getting slaughtered for three days in the papers, on social media, uh, or by Sky. Sky set the, the agenda straight away. It's interesting, that isn't it? You know, this idea that first and foremost, the referees now, they may feel themselves like they almost can't be neutral arbiters of the game. They've got to be concerned straight away. Am I going to get slaughtered for this? They can't. And I, I think that's the problem. And mm. I, I do think that if we if, if we want perfect referee, which you obviously can never have, but if you want the best referee you, you're going to get... Everyone has to take a step back and let them do the job, and I think that's there's now there is a vicious circle in place now because referees are refereeing according to what they think the reaction will be, and that's that's obvious that and that's been going on for quite some time, and someone needs to break that cycle. We and know where we're going with this. It's it's the neutral ref, the not the faceless ref in the stand with a video monitor. It really is the only answer, despite all the pitfalls. It's the only answer. Otherwise, you put a personality in a in a in a in a cauldron and say to him, "You are that guy, the good guy or the bad guy," and you're gonna have to face your mates. Down the pub, you're gonna to have to walk down the streets of your village. You're gonna to have to be the guy's faces on Sky. Do you want to be that man? They've always got to think about that. You make it faceless, and you solve refereeing like that. Brilliant stuff. Rob Gutman there and Tony Barrett justifying exactly why we don't like to talk about referees on the Anfield rap. Splendid stuff. Means I don't have to from now until the end of the season. Uh, let's uh, hope that continues. There really are no easy games at this stage. Chelsea dropped points against Villa a couple of weeks ago. You're playing teams who are fighting for their very lives, and a fair few of them aren't managed by idiots either. Stopping Liverpool's become the order of the day. Uh, after the break. We're speaking to Steve Kelly, who lost his brother Michael at Hillsborough, about the walk the Hillsborough families, campaigners and survivors are doing uh, from the memorial in Sheffield to the memorial in Liverpool. Don't go anywhere, this is the Anfield Wrap. The Anfield Wrap on City Talk 105.9. Welcome back to the Anfield Wrap here on Friday on City Talk 105.9. Uh, we've got a special guest who's come and join us now on the phone uh, for this segment of the show. It's uh, Steve Kelly. Uh, Steve's organised um, this event this walk which is called we never walked alone it's the hillsborough 25th anniversary commemorative walk steve let's uh you know tell me about it why what's the decision that's been made to do this hi neil well what is um the walk was actually done uh last year it was called the red rose walk a group of walkers um were raising funds for for hillsborough campaigners and um sadly at the time i was uh injured i just had an operation on me on both my feet actually and uh you know, it's, it's one of those, anyone who does anything Hillsborough related, they're trying their best to, to be there at the end or to, to join in in some small way. Yeah. But unfortunately, I couldn't, so I felt a bit sort of embarrassed about it. And um, some of the walkers kept coming into the Hillsborough Justice Campaign shop after after the event. So they'd taken the mickey out of me. So I actually asked Sherry uh, Brewster, one of the main organisers, would she um, revisit it with us and... Uh, you know, I put a sort of the plan together and, uh, you know, um, here we are all this time. I'm ready to go for it. And it was all about um, uh, being a non-fundraiser, uh, just as a thank you. You know, because we, we, we've been absolutely supported, you know, 100% all these years from uh, people, you know, giving us money to help us campaign all these years. And uh, it was just something small. I mean, you know, we've got nothing to give, really, except to say thank you. 
Um, and it was just a way of, uh, you know, proving that point that, you know, we, we valued people's support. It was a community-based thing, you know, where there was families, survivors, supporters of Hillsborough over these years. And, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen our banner, but it's uh, it's based on, I designed it myself, if you like, it's based on the uh, Everton badge and the live bird. And it says, you know, at the top, you know, we never walked alone uh, over 25 years. It's fascinating. It's not a fundraising event, Steve. I think we're used to, you know, we're very much used to to charity involvement in in a lot of these events, and I'm, I'm, it's such a charming gesture. It's it's so simple. It's such a simple the thing behind it's so simple, and it's so clear exactly the, the message that you're putting across as, as a metaphor. Well, that's it. you know, I mean, as I said, you know, we we've had massive support, you know, financially and emotionally as well, you know, over the years, and and you know, it is. It's just our way of giving back. You know, uh, I know that's an old cliche, but it's true. You know, and we can walk from Sheffield to Liverpool, and you know, people will see that. You know, we we don't only, only just take. You know, we give back, and uh, if that if that message gets across to you know to, to to four or five people, that'll do me. But at least you know we, we we've shown that Liverpool. You know, we 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 don't just take, we give, and it's you know it's, it's a city-based thing. It's it's Everton, it's Liverpool, it's every supporter of Hillsborough, and. Uh, I'm really pleased that it's taken off as it has. You know, um, yeah, people are training hard and having a go, you know. Are, you, and, are, are uh, your feet up to it this year, Steve? Well, uh, I've, I've been having a few problems still, but, you know, um, I'm sure, you know, um, I'll be getting a little bit of a push along from somewhere. And uh, I was quite an experienced mar- marathon runner when I was younger. Um, and I've always stayed reasonably fit. So, you know, I'm hoping, um, you know, I'll, I'll be up to it. And... Uh, at the end of the day, you, you know, a couple of people will will, will walk the whole ninety six miles. That's Some of us will try our best, and you know, we we will just give it a good shot. Just, and, uh, just to put out there, the ninety six miles that you're walking, it's a continuous walk between the two memorials from Hillsborough Stadium right the way through to Anfield, starting in yeah. the early hours of Saturday the nineteenth of April twenty fourteen. It finishes thirty six hours later on the on the the, the day after the Sunday. It is, you know, it's you go going via uh, Huddersfield, Oldham, Manchester City, Berry, Bolton, Wigan, and Everton on the way through there. I mean, that again, you know, it's 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 symbolic of so much. This, Steve. Yeah, well, well, I say, you know, we hope, you know, uh, along the way, you know, people, as I said, will will come out and see what we're trying to achieve, and even walk a mile with us, you know, and uh, you know, we'll all shake hands and uh, you know have a have a good old sing song, even you know, we're trying to sing a mutual song along the way, or something, you know, but you know, we'll, we'll just sound of a bit of a laugh and. As I say, it'll just it'll just show so much about Merseyside, about you know Liverpool people, and uh, you, you know as I said before, if that message gets across to just a couple of people, well, I'll be a happy man. And um, the clubs that have um, you, you know were, were stopping that, they've been fantastic with their support. You know, um, it was funny during the week I went, I done I done I done each of the legs, you know, over the over the weeks. Yeah, and I, I walked through the week with a couple of other people from. Um, Huddersfield over to Oldham Athletic, and you couldn't believe the reception we got off people. And you know, when we told them what we were doing, they were very pleased, and they, they, they just threw out the red carpet for us. Said, "Well, look, you know, we, we'll help you as much as we can." And uh, you know, it's it's a really human thing, isn't it? I mean, just that it feels it, there's elements of pilgrimage as well, a pilgrimage of thanks. It's yeah. uh, you know, it's the sort of thing that really, in a simple way, it, it captures the essence of something. I think you know that 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 people can just instinctively understand. 
Well, well, when I was talking to people when I was signing up, so get it arranged and uh, the idea of the walk and people were saying, no, well, we'll stop over the hotels and, you know, we'll do this and do that. I didn't want it to cause anybody any, ex- any expense either. Mm, you know, I didn't want yeah. people paying money out for hotels or whatever. And I said, no, I said, I, said, I want to sign it in one hit, if you like, because, you know, Hillswood has been an enduring thing over 25 years. And again, we can show people that we, we have endured and we'll endure this, you know. It's, it's, it's been a, a, a test of character and strength over the years for Hillsborough, and this walk will be a test of strength and character, and it will show that, you know, um, we, we, we've gritted our teeth all these years, and we will on this walk, and, you know, we'll, we, we'll just um, be, be doing it, as I said before, with, uh, you know, uh, a view to saying to people, well, look, you know, you've been there for us all the time. This is in some small way, you know, a gesture of how we've... Uh, been tenacious over these years and, and we still will be till we get to it, it, issues and the justice of the 96. It's open for anyone to come and join you as well, isn't it? Any stage, you know, you want anyone just to come up, anyone who wants to be part of this, any distance at all, even if it's just half a mile, a mile, you want people to come and get involved and, and, and walk with you. Yeah, that's it. As I say, if, if you want to come, up, come across as we're walking along and just shake hands, walk a mile with us, um, we've got certain sections along the route. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter, you know, it's, uh, you know, hashtag uh, WNWA or on Facebook, you know, we never walked alone and people can see the route we're taking, it'll be advertised in the Liverpool Echo hopefully before we, um, we, we we start off and people can join in, I mean one of the last big legs would be from um, Bolton Wanderers Reebok Stadium right through about yeah. 26 miles or when we get back to the to the city more or less, um, the Showcase Cinema on East Langs Road and we hope there's going to be lots of more families and um survivors there walk up to Goodison you know and hopefully there'll be more people again and then you know we'll we'll, we'll take that last little stroll then along over to Anfield and uh, you know pay our respects at the memorial and uh, I'm really looking forward to it and I hope people come out and uh, if they, if, if they, even if they don't want to walk if they just want to come out and give us a wave and you know that that will be uh, great but you know it'll pick our spirits up because we'll all obviously be very tired then and uh, you look yeah. on it. You look on such a long way at that point. Which again, you know, we're talking about the symbolic value of this. You know, it's it's the case across the board, isn't it? You know, such a such a long way. The twenty fifth anniversary and, and and what you said before. You know, it's it, it is it it has been such a long walk. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and, and again, you know, it's it's like um, we've heard every step along the way over these twenty five years, and we're go, we're going to hear it every way, every step of the way of this. You know, but um, you know, we we've done it all this time, and you know, we'll we'll, we'll We'll prove we're up, we're up to the job again, you know, uh, well, come the uh, the weekend of Easter. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for coming on and let us know about it. Let me just read the details out for people. The Facebook page is uh, facebook.com forward slash WNWA 25 years. Uh, it's titled on there, We Never Walked Alone, 25th Anniversary of Hillsborough. There's a Twitter account for it as well, uh, at 25, the numbers 25 years, WNWA. Uh, both the above will be posting the news an update of the event's progress um, now and also, so you can find out about the route now if you go onto the Facebook page there and throughout the walk. There'll be hashtags as well, hashtag WNWA and hashtag We Never Walked Alone will be used to get the message of thanks around the world as as much as possible. Um, Steve, I'll just say it again, you know, it, you, you, you're completely open for people to join you any step of the way along this one. In fact, nothing to make you happier, is that right? That, that's correct, yeah. In, in fact, the last sort of mile, you know, um, I'm an Evertonian, by the way, you know, and I must be aware that, you know, uh, the last mile I might just nip into uh, Goodison <laughs> for the Everton Man U game, you know, I missed the last mile, but I don't <laughs> think I will. 
I think really, really, I don't think I will. But uh, you know, couldn't get a ticket anyway. But never mind. That's but that. no, really, everyone, please join us. Excellent. Thanks so much to Steve. Uh, this is the Anfield Wrap here on City Talk 105.9. After the break, we'll be talking about Liverpool versus Tottenham Hotspur. The Anfield Wrap on City Talk 105.9. It's the Amf- Oh, hello. There we are. It's the Anfield Rap City Talk 105.9. Uh, Neil Atkinson here with Tony Barrett's Carl Kopak and Rob Gutman to see you through until six o'clock. Uh, there's a campaign that Radio City and City Talk are running. Um, one City, and I don't know why it's only one city. It's actually scandalous it's one city, but let's just indulge it. One City is getting £1.6 million to spend on grassroots football to encourage more people to play football regularly. Uh, Radio City have got a hashtag for this, and you can see it on their website and on the City Talk website. It's uh, hashtag Liverpool City of Football, and it's from Sport England. Um, Basically, the argument is it should be us. Um, if one city is getting it, I mean, we've discussed this more, Tony. No other city in the UK really has, has football as integral to its cultural life as Liverpool does. No, it's certainly true. Uh, my one thing, my one concern would be if Liverpool did get it, is I think it would take some of the pressure off the, the two local big, massive clubs who benefit hugely from local talent. If you look at the Liverpool and Everton sides over the last few years, Wayne Rooney, Ross Barkley, Stephen Gerrard, Jamie Carragher, you can go on. If you think of the amount of talent and what that talent's been worth to those clubs over the, la- over the last 10 years or so, for me, those clubs should, should be investing in this area like like no one else. So would you say, therefore, that you could make an argument and say, listen, there's 1.6 bil- 1. 1. 6 million here coming from Sport England. Let's see if, if you know, put some pressure on and see if Liverpool and Everton want to, as part of sweetening the deal for this to come to Liverpool, say, well, we'll match funding. Well, they could easily do it. If you, if you look at the money they, they spend on players, Iago Aspas has cost, cost Liverpool £7.5 million to sit on the bench for the season. Now, what, what difference would that money have made to this city in terms of development of youngsters? The similar situations at Everton. Everton signed Aruna Coney. I know he's injured now, but before he got injured, he wasn't pulling any trees. Again, what difference would that have money have made? They could do it in a number of ways. They can structure it through their own academies. They can go out and have satellite academies throughout the city where local kids just go and get to enjoy great facilities where they go to... and benefit from top class coaching and I just think Liverpool and Everton owe it to this city it's not everyone looks at what this city the clubs have brought to the city Mm. but what's this city brought to them this city is the clubs and the clubs need to recognise that and for all the arguing about government about the football association about the Premier League and we can have issues with all of them quite rightly so but these clubs have got a gold mine that they've earthed continually and constantly and constantly and if they want to keep tapping into that, they need to invest. And it's up to them. Get past all the government, get past the bureaucracy and do it themselves. OK, Tony Barrett there. So it's the hashtag is Liverpool City of Football. I think it's a good, good opportunity to have a big conversation about all of this sort of stuff uh, with around this 1.6 million from Sport England. OK, then the Spurs game, we've not got much time, so I'm going to go quick. It's obviously huge. Uh, I'd say Rob Gutman, the quintessential Liverpool performance of the season came at White Hart Lane. Uh, you watch them more than I do. Do they look different under Sherwood? Um... I, the big difference is 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 the their focal point striker Adibayo in the games that I've seen, Soldado just hasn't done it despite a few mini cameos, and Adibayo is the key difference. He he gives them to use a Hodgsonism a reference point. Uh, I suppose he's got them a bit more high octane at times, which is a little bit reminiscent of Harry of how Harry Redknapp got them up. They still seem to be defending that very high line, although not quite as as rigorously, uh, rigorously or as uh, what's the word suicidally as uh, they were under uh, Andrea Boas. Um, I don't know. I, I I think when we look back on this Spurs season, we'll see a fairly linear view of of, of AVB to Sherwood. I think it's it's it got hugely people the media 
Um, don't disrespect Tony. <laughs> We're waiting. He's not all of them. It's all you, right. You represent the entire media, <laughs> so Tony. So it's aimed at you. But no, the, the media would were dying to write the story as as uh, Sherwood being a red nap like comeback and uh, and highlighting the contrast between the two. And I don't think it is that great, despite the comedy value that Sherwood is. High lines, um, vulnerability on the ball. Uh, dominated at Southampton last week for forty minutes. I felt Tony. I don't know if you saw the game. Um, it's still not hugely different. You said before you're intrigued by the fact that Liverpool aren't playing. Sterling, you surely play Sterling here. No, I think you definitely play Sterling against Tottenham. The, I think the difficulty with Tottenham is you don't know how to prepare for them. You don't know. There is no logic to the way Spurs are playing at the moment. That Southampton game is a perfect case in point. They were absolutely awful and won the game 3-2. And they, they're winning games despite themselves at the moment. They're winning games despite their tactics. And I always find that kind of opponent the most dangerous of all because you can prepare whatever way you want. You can prefer, prepare for all eventualities. But if they're doing things off the cuff mm. and despite the instructions that the manager's given them at some time, that makes things very difficult. I, I just look at Spurs and I, I see a very good squad there. I see a squad that's in need of a very good... Do you think it's almost too big? I think it's too big and I think they have too many options. But I also think that for a club that spends 100 odd million in the summer, if your first choice right wing, right, whole right flank is Aaron Lennon and Kyle Walker, then you haven't spent your money particularly well. But I do think that there is an absolute quality, particularly in midfield. If I, I, I think if Liverpool had some of the options that Spurs have in midfield, Liverpool would probably be top of the league right now. Uh, all right then, Carl. Sarko in, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Oh, uh, Lucas Lever, we're looking at with Gerard's yellow card looming, or do you just simply stick with Stephen? Trust he won't get himself booked. Stick with him. Trust he won't get himself booked. Yep. And who are your two from Coutinho? I'm going to ask all of you this quickly. Who are your two from Coutinho, Allen and Sterling? Who's your two? Sterling and Allen. Sterling and Allen. Yep. Tony, what's your two? Sterling and Allen, and Gerard should definitely play. Rob? I want Sterling, Coutinho, I'm dropping Allen. You're dropping Allen in yeah. there. You're going to go for the more attacking option. Yeah. It's odd this that there's this sudden options, and we've talked before about the sort of the, the, the paucity of options at times. And then currently for first 11s, it feels as though every every single one of them's a little bit on a knife edge. The key part of this, though, I think um, Tony, haven't seen Liverpool this season, is that first 20 minutes, is that first explosion. If they can get to get on top of them there, then you know that that focus is important. And ultimately, this Spurs side looks like a side that could be made to fold. They, they honestly could have gone in. You saw the game. I saw the game. If you didn't at home, they really should have gone in against Southampton in their own ground. 4-0 down at half time they can be got at no they can be got at but they also came through it and I, I think I think that's similar to Liverpool when you come through things like that what what kind of effect does it have and I, I think that when you win games you should lose and win games you should lose heavily that that does engender its own sense of belief and, and a sense of collectivism that I think Spurs have lacked until now and then that kind of team spirit is now growing and I think that makes them more dangerous opponents than they would have been a month ago ok so what's your prediction I think Liverpool will win narrowly narrowly ok Carl I'm going to be specific. 1-0 Sacco. 1-0 Sacco, my word. I don't know if we could take it. Rob Gutman. A 3-1, but it'll be a sweat, a late third. A late third. Mm. Uh, okay, then. Tottenham Hotspur come to Anfield on Sunday. You can obviously listen to it here, but you'd probably go in as well. Let's just have a great time and watch those Mighty Reds play because we're running out of games. The Anfield Wrap, brought to you by High Street Solicitors. Visit us now on Egbert Road or call 203 1268.